This is Real Estate Rookie episode 317. So it was definitely scary to get into investing. Um, but then we started seeing the long-term benefit of just this like multiple streams of income and residual income. And we, by being in real estate, I started to see, oh my gosh, the equity. And when we had bought and sold houses before, so that opportunity for equity and appreciation in there too kind of opened our eyes. So, okay, I feel like this is a safe route to go, uh, if that's a good word to use. Um, and so that kind of made us jump into into doing that. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Uh, Ashley Kerr, I'm, uh, I'm pumped for today's episode. Uh, this is actually someone that you uh, recruited into the ranks of the real estate rookie world that you met in an event. And I'm, I'm super glad you did. We got Mackenzie Brockton on the podcast and she's just a, a ball of energy and she's got a really, really cool story as well. Yeah, I met her at AG Osborne's uh, CRE Circle live event in Boise, Idaho. And she was just a, a ball of fire, had great energy, but also had a really good story. So we're uh, she's going to tell you all about that story of how she got into investing in real estate. She'll do a great job of actually explaining why she chose not to invest out of state and give some of the reasons that kind of turned her off from doing that. Um, one thing to highlight with Mackenzie is that she was a new investor. She hadn't done a deal, but she is going to tell you how she got a partner on her very first deal that pretty much put in the majority of the capital. Yeah. She also talks about, you know, how she started off as a real estate agent, how much volume of sales she did in a relatively short period of time, which was amazing. Uh, she goes in to talk about how she manages her rehab and kind of what she learned between that first deal and that second deal. And she'll go on and tell you guys a, a really cool strategy for how she's finding subs, managing her budgets and kind of keeping her projects uh, on track for for both time and uh, money. So just overall, I think you guys are really going to get a lot of, out of this conversation with, uh, with Mackenzie. Yeah. Mackenzie also breaks down what subs two is a creative financing strategy and also uh, sober living facilities and how she actually was able to kind of coordinate a arbitrage situation. And she will go into it and explain what that is. We go over a few kind of like a uh, real estate terms throughout this podcast, and uh, we probably didn't do the best job of like breaking those down in the moment. So uh, just a, a resource for all of our rookies that are listening. If you go to biggerpockets.com slash glossary, uh, there's actually a glossary of terms that are all important in the world of real estate investing. So for example, we talked about EMD on the podcast today. That stands for earnest money deposit. So if you weren't familiar with that phrase, that's what it means. But if you want the whole rundown of all the real estate key terms, again, head over to biggerpockets.com slash glossary. Uh, now, I want to give a quick shout out to someone that loves to say five-star review in Apple Podcasts. They go by the name of Gene Bean 16 uh, And Gene says, truly the best podcast for rookies. Um, her, her review is a little bit longer, but it's such a good one. I got, I got to read the whole thing. She says, Ashley and Tony, I love you guys. Uh, I've listened to over 100 Bigger Pockets podcast, and she's talking about the real estate show, and recently listened to the one with the two of you on it. So Ash and I recently co-hosted uh, an episode on the real estate podcast. And she says, I really love the information you both provided. So I immediately followed your podcast. And wow, the wealth of knowledge that has come from the, the two of you in just a few short days is unbelievable. Listen, you guys, if you are truly new or relatively new to the real estate investing market, this is the podcast to dive into head first. Between the BP podcast and the Rookie podcast, I feel like I have my degree in real estate investing for beginners. Keep up the good work. So Gene, uh, or I'm sorry, it's actually Jen being 16. Uh, but Jen, I, I think you said everything that 
is kind of the goal with Real Estate Rookie Podcast is to help folks at that beginning phase and give them the confidence to move forward. So for all of our rookies that are listening, the reason we ask you guys to leave reviews is because it encourages that next person that's on the fence about listening to actually dive into the whole Bigger Pockets ecosystem. And when they do that, it's a life-changing moment. So take a few minutes, uh, leave a review on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening to, and you can inspire that next person to become a real estate investor. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. What does financial freedom mean to you? More time with your family and friends, the ability to take that globe-trotting trip, or do you, do you just want to sleep in until 10 a.m. every day with no boss to answer to? Real estate is your gateway to financial freedom, but rent-ready property management software is what keeps your free time actually free. From seamless online rent collection to custom applications, property marketing tools, and repair request tracking, RentReady allows your portfolio to run on autopilot. The best part is you can manage all your rentals right from your cell phone. And that's why RentReady is my favorite property management app around. I use it for all my rentals. Whether you've got one or a dozen doors, RentReady helps you streamline how you manage your rental properties to create a life you love in 2024. Now, RentReady is already included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets Investor, to get six months of RentReady for $1. TurboTax experts make all your moves count filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Mackenzie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to start off with telling everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am a Southern California native, born and raised in Southern California. I moved up here to Boise, Idaho in late 2017. I got licensed as a real estate agent in 2020 and started investing in 2021. I have a husband and two little kids. Both of them are toddlers under three years old. So 
life's a little bit crazy, but we love it. So what's that first initial thing that kind of got you into real estate? Um, I actually can't take credit for it. Uh, in 2020, my husband was the, I guess, main income earner, main breadwinner for our family. And uh, he goes, hey, Mackenzie, we should get an investment property. And I go, okay, cool. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. We owned our house at the time. We had some equity in it up here in Boise. And so he sat down with a good friend and mentor of ours who was a real estate agent, um, Shelby Paget, and he Shelby goes, Hey, yeah, let's get you an investing and Mackenzie should just get her real estate license. And so that kind of sparked like, yeah, I should get my real estate license. I have a background in network marketing, sales, graphic design, interior design. My dad was a general contractor growing up. So kind of done all the things It seemed to be a good fit. And so I got licensed in October of 2020. And then um, my husband ended up quitting his job to let me kind of thrive in real estate. So it was like a make it or break it has to work in real estate moment for us. And thankfully it did. So tell us about that first conversation about investing in real estate. What were some of the things that piqued your interest? Did you have any kind of hesitation that maybe buying an investment property wasn't the right thing for you? Yeah, I think it, it was tough. Um, we were kind of looking at going like the house hacking route. And at the time we had a I think four or five month old. And so we said, wait a second, are we really going to do this right now? Like this is crazy. And so the fear of what if it doesn't work out? What if you move your family? You know, what if you stretch yourself too thin and knowing that, okay, maybe my husband is going to quit his job. Like we don't want to stretch our finances so far and then get too overextended and we don't have a fallback plan, you know? So it was definitely scary to get into investing. Um, but then we started seeing the long-term benefits benefit of just this like multiple streams of income and residual income. And we, by being in real estate, I started to see, oh my gosh, the equity. And when we had bought and sold houses before, so that opportunity for equity and appreciation in there too kind of opened our eyes to, okay, I feel like this is a safe route to go, uh, if that's a good word to use. Um, and so that kind of made us jump into, into doing that. Uh, Mackenzie, I, I just want to pause for a second. And if you can, let's give our listeners just an overview of, of kind of where you've gone since October 2020 when you got that license to where you are today. So I guess how many transactions have you done? What does the portfolio look like today? Yeah. So I feel like real estate sales for me on the realtor side of it is different than real estate on the investing side of it. It's completely different. I think people think, oh my gosh, all real estate agents are investors. And that's actually very much not the case. Most agents don't invest in real estate, which I don't understand how that happens. Um, but yeah, I got licensed in 2020 and it was kind of a make it break or make it or break it moment for us. And so I just put my head down and started working probably harder than anyone else. And I was grateful to Shelby for mentoring me and uh, kind of teaching me a lot of the ropes. And I watched him as he was investing and things like that. So as far as a sales part of it, um, I've been really blessed. I've done over, gosh, 30 million um, in my time here. And then a little over 60 transactions. Actually, it's probably pushing 70 now. A little over 70 transactions in my sales time. And then as far as investing goes, we started in March of 2021 when I found a opportunity on market that looked like a good flip. And I always wanted to flip. Of course, everyone's seen all the flipping shows. And with my background in interior design, I'm like, this just goes hand in hand. So we ended up uh, grabbing this flip. We brought on a partner. That partner took the main equity stake. And I said, hey, you're out of town. I'm going to help manage it for you. And I've got a little bit of cash that I can invest in it. Will you just like let me partner in this with you? 
So he said yes. So we flipped that house in April of 2021. That went well. And then within another calendar year, one full calendar year, we had flipped a second house. And that one, we had more of an equity stake. And so those were uh, just fix and flips. And then we started moving into long-term holds. So now we have uh, four long-term hold rentals. And then um, we are under contract on another that'll kind of help us uh house hack a little bit and then working on some other creative finance deals in the background underwriting them right now. So we'll see how that goes. So you have really propelled yourself over the last couple of years, even two years. And congratulations on that. I want to go back to that first deal where you talked about you found a partner. How did you find this partner? How did you approach them? That's one of the biggest struggles of, of a rookie. You've never done a deal, but yet you're asking somebody to be your partner in this. So kind of go into the details on that for us, please. And before you do, Mackenzie, if I, anytime we say the word partner now, we, we got to we gotta plug our book. So uh, th- this podcast is going to come out in the future. But today, the day that we're recording this is actually the day that mine and Ashley's book, Real Estate Partnership, launches. Uh, so if you guys head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnership, you guys can pick up a copy of this book. And I, I think there's still a couple bonuses that are available for folks that order during the first month uh, that it that it releases. So if you want to capture some of those, head to real estate or head to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships to pick up a copy. So Mackenzie, sorry to interject there, but it's just uh, mandatory now that anytime anyone says the word partnership that uh, Ash and I plug our, plug our book. I love it. I love it. Worth the interjection. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was newer to real estate, but what I did is I started with finding the deal. And so I found the deal. I ran the numbers. I learned how to comp properties. So I knew what this property would wor- be worth um, after the repair. I knew what it would take to go into it just with kind of my background in general contracting had some people look into it. So I started with finding the deal and then we go, okay, how are we going to fund this? Who's going to buy this? And even though I didn't really have real estate experience at the time, I had life experience. And so back from my home in Southern California, my husband and I were very involved in multiple circles. We were coaches um, in different aspects and uh, sports and things like that. And so this connection was someone who we had worked with for years. They had trusted us with their kids. And so I kind of was like, well, if they trust us with their kids, they're going to trust us with their money, right? You know? Um, and so we just called him and we said, hey, you know, Bob, I know this is this is crazy, but this this is the deal. This is what it's looking at. Here's the numbers. I'll show you. I'll send you the comps. Here's what I think it can do. And because they had that trust aspect, I think, already with us, they trusted us in the opportunity. So because we had already built that relationship with them, they felt comfortable to kind of take that leap into partnering with us. And so since then, they actually are one of our main partners. They partner with us on a lot of deals now, and we're very grateful for them. Mackenzie, you you just did a phenomenal breakdown of a lot of what Ash and I talk about when it comes to uh, finding partnerships. So I'm, I'm just going to break down what you said here for a second. So so bear with me. So first, you 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 identified what your unique skill set was, and that was finding finding the deal. So you you leveraged your strengths, you leveraged your um, you know, your skills to find a really good deal. Then you said, okay, if I'm looking at the the puzzle pieces of making this transaction happen, I've got the deal finding, I've got the, even the property man or the project management side, but I'm missing the capital side. So it's, okay, let me go out and find a partner to fill that void. So you, you go out there and you find someone 
uh, that has those resources that you're lacking. Now, this person had never really done real estate before, but you said the reason that they were willing to work with you was because there was that level of trust there. And you know, one of the things that Ash and I say in, in the book is that when you're looking for a partner, people typically partner with people that they either know, like, or that they know, like, and trust, right? So that you kind of need all three of those. So even though this person had never invested in real estate before, because you had that foundation of know, like, and trust, when you presented them with an opportunity, they were willing to jump at it because you guys had built that foundation. And Ash talks a lot about her first partnership where that partner invested his life savings into a deal. And it's because him and Ashley had that no like and trust. So I, I just love that story because you really exemplify all of the kind of critical elements of putting a, a partnership together. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, oh, I can't get started until I have all this real estate experience. Well, you're never going to get started if because like, it takes deals and capital and things to get that experience. So I completely agree. And I think if people open their eyes to oh, maybe this person, you know, I hear that all the time. I don't know anyone with money. I actually really doubt that's true. So really look, and it never hurts to ask. And I always say, if you find a deal, I feel like the money and the capital will follow. You just got to start with the deal, you know? So yeah, I agree. That's definitely great advice. Mackenzie, would you go into, how did you structure this deal? Would you mind like sharing the numbers of like how much money each person contributed, what your role was, what their role was, and how much equity each person got? Yeah, so probably not the uh, prettiest on paper, meaning that there was no paper. It was like a handshake agreement, which now that I've done more deals, I'm like, oh man, that was sticky for me. That was sticky for them, but we just trusted each other. So it worked out. So essentially we um, just structured it as whatever anyone was putting into the property was their equity stake in the property. So they fronted the majority of the money for the, they bought it in cash, um, took title to the property, and then they funded most of the renovations and we uh, funded, I guess we funded a lot of the uh, purchases of the supplies because we said, hey, we can buy in, I think we sent in $30,000, which was like, this is a 10% equity stake in the property. And so then at the end of the day, we put together all the profits and losses once we sold it and just distributed things out from there. I actually, because I didn't really have experience, I didn't even charge. We've worked other deals now where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to property manage or project manage it, I'm going to take an additional portion of like the equity or charge or something like that. I didn't even do that on this one because I just wanted them to feel like they could trust me, you know? <laughs> so I just took the portion of what I put into it capital wise of the uh, profit in the deal when we sold it. Mackenzie, I did the exact same thing on my first deal. Like I didn't put any dollar amount to kind of my value. Really, I gave up a lot in that first deal, but that's what gets you started. And being able to show that you can do that, you can be the boots on the ground, you can be the project manager, whatever that is, then that's where you can go and kind of bake your value in. And it sounds like you also dated this partner. You went into this partnership, not just, okay, every flip now we're doing with you guys and this is how it is. Whatever the money you put in, that's your equity from now until forever. But you did one deal and then you bring the next deal and you're able to renegotiate with them. And I think that is a tremendous point is when you're dealing with a partner is to try to set it up that way. You're not locked into something that you end up regretting and you can change it for the next deal. Yep, absolutely. It's changed every deal. We're on our third partnership deal with them. And then they've done a few investing de deals with me um, that I've just served as their agent on it. And every deal is like different. Yeah. That's definitely cool that having that flexibility with somebody. 
So let's talk about, okay, so we did your, you did your flip and then what kind of comes next? Did you get the bug? Did you, did you guys make a bunch of money on that one? What, what happened? So that one, I'll be honest, the margins were slim. Um, we ended up learning a lot of what, I guess maybe not even what to do, but what we wanted to do. Cause we learned a lot of what not to do. Um, and I've heard multiple guest speakers on here talk about the struggle with general contractors and oh man, we struggled with a general contractor. <laughs> And so it was in the heart of 2020 where everyone was slammed. You know, the real estate market was going crazy. Everyone was losing it. And so I brought in someone who was a mutual friend and I go, oh, this is going to work out great. You know, I, I know them and it didn't work out great. And so it ended up we were overpaying for terrible work that was taking a way too long. And me being over here on the project management side of it too, you know, I'm like, okay, let's pushing it along. You know, the partner's like, hey, what's going on? Because he lives out of state and I'd be there all the time. No one's here. No one's here. We got to push this along. This is a terrible job. The paint's bubbling, like all this stuff. So we ended up um, about a month or two before we wrapped up. I said, this is it. I told the contract, I'm like, just I'll pay you for what you've done. We're going to just finish the rest of it. And so then I just brought on subcontractors for it. And so at the end of the day, it worked out. We made a little bit of money enough to put a good taste in everyone's mouth. But I think that we realized we just learned a lot. So then there was more confidence in what we're going to do next. And so actually when we were in escrow on that property under contract to close it, um, it sold after like two days on market. It didn't even get through full, uh, first full weekend. We went out of contract to buy another flip. And so we did another flip with them. And this time we were, we were more, we were actually a higher equity stake. And then I also buffered in a, a portion of the profit for my project management in the next deal. So Mackenzie, you said that the, the margins were slim. Uh, so it sounds like you didn't maybe make as much profit as you wanted to, but th there's something important I want to point out there. You basically got paid to educate yourself on how to flip a home for a profit. Oh, absolutely. There is an incredible amount of value, even if you broke even on everything that you learned throughout that first flip that you were then able to apply to that second flip to do it more confidently. So I, I would love to kind of break down some of those lessons you learned in the first flip that you're like, okay, we need to, we need to change this for the next one. So what were some of those lessons learned and how did you change when you went into the second flip? Yeah. Well, you totally touched on it. Like, honestly, even if we had lost money in it, which thankfully we didn't, it probably still would have been a good opportunity because I was very um, vocal on social media with it. So I shared the whole deal and we're flipping this and we're doing that, you know, and I shared all of the, oh man, that, you know, this didn't work out, but this is working out and this is how it turned out. It actually solidified me as a real estate investor. And so it, it pushed my, uh, uh, career forward in sales for investors. Oh, Mackenzie knows how to how to work the real estate market. So that was huge. Um, that I can even put a value on how that pushed me forward. But then as far as lessons that we learned in it, I mean, I definitely think we learned one, you got to be conservative on your numbers. You think it's going to take X amount of dollars and X amount of time, just double it. Just just plan to double it. <laughs> and then if you end up closer, you know, everyone's happy. It's a great day. Um, and then I think on the other side too, we really did learn, hey, I don't think I need to bring a general contractor in because at the end of the day, they're just project managing it. They're bringing in all their own subs and the most time they don't even know what's happening. And so for me to have made connections during that, you know, by reaching out and just building my book of people I want to work with, it made the next process so much smoother and quicker. And there was just so much more of an ease because it's like, okay, I, I trust my tile guy to come in and do an amazing job. I trust my painter to come in and do an awesome job. And then I don't even worry about, oh, was that a good bid? Should I get a second one? I just know it's going to be great. So I just learned to 
grow your list of people that you know and trust and use them. And it makes it a lot easier. And so, and then we learned to the benefit of just not using a general contractor personally. Mackenzie, you, you talked about growing your list of people, but I think for a lot of our rookies that are listening, that's where that challenge is, is that like, how the heck do I find a sub? So like, you know, is, is there a, a Facebook marketplace that you're going to? Is, is, is there Craigslist? Like, how are you identifying these subs? How are you vetting them? And then how, how are you as the, the, you know, the, the quote unquote juicy for your own property, making sure that you're sequencing these subs at the right time. So they're not getting each other's way. Cause I think that's the challenging part as well. I think experience and referrals are like the greatest place to find people. And so it kind of goes back to that, like, like no one trusts people. So for instance, I found my tile guy through um, another agent at my brokerage. She goes, oh my gosh, I've used this tile guy for my houses before. He's the best. You have to talk to him. And then, so that kind of starts the conversation. And then I always look for how responsive are they? And then how uh, professional are they in my interactions? You know, my tile guy showed up on time. He brought a notebook. He brought a tape measure. He measured all down. He had a professional invoice that he sent to me. And I think a lot of contractors fail in that part because they're more of just like the hands-on. They don't understand the admin part of it. But if you really care about the process from start to finish, I feel like that gave me peace that I know he's going to be an exceptional uh, tile worker before he even laid a tile for me. So I think that was huge. And then, yeah, I did share a lot. And uh, I, I wouldn't just blast it on like Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> I started with people I knew. So I started within real estate agents that I worked with. Who are you using to paint houses? You know, who are you using as electricians? Um, and then in my personal Facebook sphere, you know, if someone I knew had used this person, he did a great job on their plumbing. I would talk to that person. So really trusting that personal um, word of mouth referral helped build that book a lot. You know, if someone I know had a great experience with them, I feel like that's just an extra leg up that I'm going to have a great experience with them. How has your process changed as far as estimating the rehab from that first deal until now? You kind of give us those scenarios and then maybe even some tips for somebody getting started as to you know, what they can do to learn how to estimate a rehab. You said your dad was a contractor, but beyond that, did you really know a ton about what it costs to do construction? Um, honestly, I, I tend to wing it a little bit. <laughs> probably isn't a great advice here, but I've just gotten a lot of bids. So in that first uh, reno project, I, I got, you know, three general contractors to come out and bid the job and I would see where everything would line up. And then you just start realizing like, okay, to paint an exterior of a house should be around maybe $7,000, $10,000, you know? And so on my estimating, I always estimate on that slightly higher range of what I kind of know. And the houses are flipping are all about the same. You know, we're looking for that mid-range square footage, you know, so so you can kind of ballpark, okay, this is about the same house. So this is probably what it's going to cost for exterior painting. And if you're not sure, I think you just get multiple bids. And most contractors, especially now that they have a little more time on their hands, are great at getting you bids. So I do try to gather as many bids as I can before to put together that budget. I'll aim high with my estimate when you have to move quick, um, you know, on getting a property under contract. And then we just put in kind of placeholder bids, like let's say $10,000 for painting. And then the paint comes in at 9,500. Cool. I have an extra buffer. So I say aim high and then get the actual bid and then adjust your spreadsheet. Mackenzie, as a real estate agent, do you think that you have an advantage of getting contractors into the property because you can really schedule a time for you to go anytime you want to a property, correct? And bringing them in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, most of my deals have come 
on market or coming soon, or now I'm starting to kind of build a network of people who are bringing me deals off market, but most of mine are coming from on market. And so I think a lot of people say, oh, you can't find a deal on market. Well, that's not true. You know, that's happened multiple times for me. I love the the coming soon listing on the MLS is like this sweet pocket of time. Like people don't ask questions. I don't know if they're scared of being told no or what, but they don't ask questions. And I'll ask questions. So both of my flips actually were coming soon. They weren't even on the market. But I just called the agent. I said, hey, I know this is coming soon. I know I can't see the property because we can't get into it until it's on market. Can I submit an offer before it's even on, on market? And they'd say, yeah, sure. And then, you know, I can write contingencies in there. Like, let me get my inspection done. Let me do things like that. So, yes. And then as far as, you know, if you're working on market deals, I do think that agents give you a little more credibility and it gives them a little more confidence too, even when negotiating with their sellers of like, oh, she's an agent and I'm, I'm a very high producing agent in the area. Oh, I, I've worked with her before. I've heard of her, whatever. It does help give some kind of credibility to it. So I do think it's been helpful. I just want to go back to one thing you said, uh, Mackenzie, because you mentioned spreadsheet. Um, and this is this is something we've always struggled with, with with our flips. It's just like the best way to manage all of the expenses and make sure you're, you're coming in on budget. So like, how are you, you know, once you set up that initial budget, what are you using to track uh, expenses to make sure you're within range? Google Drive all day, every day. Like you should see my spreadsheets. I feel like nothing makes me happier than a good spreadsheet that like auto sums down at the bottom, you know, like I, I'm not even that good at creating them, but I can use the sum. Sometimes there's like, oh, this one turns green if you're under. This one turns red. So honestly, we just do Google spreadsheets. And I will say now too, even moving forward, like I've kind of delegated a little more of that. And so my husband does most of that now, which is great because he's actually better at numbers than me. But we just use good old Google Sheets for everything. And then it's so great too because share that with our investors. So look at it, you know, so we'll share that with our partners and everyone has access to it. And so they can see, Hey, this bid came in or Hey, this came in lower, this came in higher and they can just see it all. So, you know, Ash and I are both kind of like spreadsheet nerds here. Um, I've, I've probably seen more pivot tables in a week than most people see in a lifetime, but like when, so are you just literally taking every single transaction? Like, Hey, we just paid the painter X dollars. We just paid our, our drywall guy this much. Are you taking every single transaction and just drop it into a big Excel sheet and then kind of categorizing all of those? Yeah. So we'll have like the master budget. So let's say painting came in at like, you know, $10,000 we have set aside for it in the master budget. But at the end of the day, we only paid him 8,500 that goes in there. So then we see that $2,500 surplus. Usually it gets spent somewhere else, you know, but it all balances out, right? You know, like over here we had 5,000 budget, but it took us 5,500, you know, somewhere in there. So yeah, we have kind of the big bid and then underneath it will be what the actual was. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. 
And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at Shopify.com slash BP Rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to Shopify.com slash BP Rookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash BP Rookie. You dream of ditching your nine to five and starting your real estate career, but with home prices and interest rates at an all time high, you're not sure how you'll find a worthwhile wholesale deal or a quality rental property. Look, here's an expert secret. You don't have to rely on on-market properties to start making money in real estate. You actually can find off-market properties with homeowners who are motivated to sell right from your phone, tablet, or computer with PropStream. PropStream provides data for over 155 million properties nationwide with more than 120 search filters, including pre-foreclosures, pre-probate, and bankruptcy. It helps you quickly find motivated sellers even without MLS access. Now, PropStream offers public record data as well as an MLS sales estimate with over 99% accuracy to help you get the most accurate comps possible. You'll also get lead automation, skip tracing, and marketing tools like emails and postcards to close more deals quickly. They even have a free learning academy to help you get started. Get 50 leads free with their seven-day free trial at propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com slash BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But look, you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLCs done right. They'll handle all the state filings, draft your operating agreements, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, which is a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton, over 35 years ago. Now, his son, Ted, is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to CorporateDirect.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. I want to kind of pivot to a different direction. So you did your flips and then you mentioned you have four rental units too. So can you kind of tell us how you did made that pivot from doing flips to acquiring rental properties? Yeah. So our first flip um, that we partnered in on was March of 2021. We kind of caught the bug for investing. We want to do this. And at that time, my husband had quit his job. So we couldn't qualify um, conventionally because I didn't have two years of tax returns. And so we don't look good on paper. But we owned a house that had significant amount of equity in it because we bought it before everyone thought Idaho was cool. And so in um, July, we said, well, <laughs> we wish we could do like a HELOC or something like that, but we can't. Let's just sell our house and take the equity out of it. So we put our house on the market, our primary house on the market in July and netted a very large amount of money from it. And so that helped kind of catapult us into things. So from selling that house, then we bought a new primary residence. We used those funds to partner in on that other flip. Um, we purchased a property... <laughs> 
we went under contract for a new build actually in Tennessee out of state. What made you find that and decide on that? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a learning lesson. I actually don't really like investing out of state <laughs> as I'm learning. Like, I think maybe it's my realtor pride. I just like that I can run my own comps. Like, it bothers me to like use another agent. I would just rather run it myself. Um, but it was through a, a friend of ours who we actually the the agent Shelby who mentored me he had a agent connection over there and it was kind of these four houses that were being built and $300,000 purchase price it rents for $2,800 a month the earnest money was a thousand dollars and then at the end of the build it appraised for $350,000 so it was a huge win so that's just kind of how we found it was a I guess word of mouth connection for that one I was just going to ask one follow-up on the Tennessee, you, you know, outside of the comping, is there anything else that, you know, I guess you're not enjoying about the the long distance piece? Is it the the management itself? And I guess what advice would you have for Ricky's to make that piece a little bit easier? Yeah. Uh, I don't know this area of Tennessee. I've been to Tennessee before. My property's in Maryville, which is about 30 minutes outside of Knoxville from my understanding. I've been to Knoxville, been to Nashville, but, um, so yeah, just difficult working with another agent. Um, I don't know. You just see like, oh, I feel like this could be a little bit better. You know, when numbers kind of go from a high end to a low end, just a little bit of confusion. And I love Zillow sort of, but I can get the data that I can get from the MLS. So just working with another realtor, I'd prefer to be my own realtor. Um, and then we do hire a property manager for that, which is fine. He does great. But you know, I just don't know the market there as much as I know here. So when I have my in-state rentals, I manage them myself because I know the area it's easy for me to pop over. I know my contractors. I don't know anyone there. So to be honest, it's probably an issue with my own, uh, I want to micromanage everything. And so I don't like that I have to like trust other people to tell me what the rental estimate is. And yeah, I can run it. But you know, that like in neighborhood, like I know the street, I know like, for instance, we bought this property and, you know, I look it up on Google Maps, but you don't even realize, you know, what's down the street from me. Like, ah, that's kind of a weird spot for a rental. So just not being able to see the property, touch the property, know the area, and then you're having to pay property managers. And if I want to sell it, I have to pay, you know, a new uh, realtor fees and all that stuff. So after that property, did you only do deals in Idaho for your rentals after that? Yeah. So now we have, um, let's see, three, soon to be four in state. Um, one of ours, we bought, it was the good old end of the year scramble. So we don't have to pay some taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we bought a property uh, in here in Idaho and are renting out as a sober living facility, which is great. Um, and then our, uh, next one, we, our last primary residence that we purchased, we flipped into a rental and moved into a new primary. So that helped us put less down. Um, and then we just bought a property subject two that we're renovating, um, that will be a long-term home and will also be sober living. And then our current property that we're in right now is a primary, we're building a new primary. Um, and so that'll flip into probably a corporate living or executive rental. Okay. We have a lot to unpack there. Know, let's start with, <laughs> let's start it. with what is sober living? It just kind of explain that strategy and what you're doing with the property to make it sober living. Yeah. So there's a couple ways that you can go about this. Um, the way we're doing it, I love it because it's very hands off. So I know someone who actually has been in um, the prison system, you know, turned her life around. She's amazing. She's awesome. And she has a heart for people in those situations. And so she actually has a direct um, contract and connection with the Idaho Department of Corrections. And so what happens is when people get released from prison, they get released with like 
$650 for their first um, month's rent. And it goes directly to uh, this gal for them to live in this house. And in the house, they have to, you know, abide by the rules, drug tests, do all this stuff. So they have to remain clean. So it's nice because I actually feel like I'm providing a place. There's, oh my gosh, I can't remember the line. There's literally people that can't get released from prison because there's not a sober living house for them to go to. And so we're actually trying to help her in gaining as many houses as we can for her. And so how it works with her, you can do sober living on your own where you just literally market almost like you would a rental and people can come to you, but there's just a lot more management with it. But how it works with her is she signed a two-year lease and then essentially it's kind of arbitrage or she's uh, subleasing it out. So she signed a two-year lease at a fixed rate with me. And then however many people she puts in it, whatever income she brings, you know, that's all icing on the cake for her. So it's really nice. It's kind of set it and forget it from me. And they also property manage the house. They have a house manager that lives there. So they take care of any repairs under $500. If it's major, we talk about it. So it's been great so far. Mackenzie, did you charge uh, a premium? Uh, to them for this arbitrage deal or was it basic market rents? No premium because it doesn't make sense to have that many people living in the house. So the house that we have right now that she's renting is like a four bedroom house and I think she fits 10 to 12 people in it. Um, and so there's certain state uh, criteria that she has to follow, but it has to be above market value for me to justify the wear and tear on my property, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, she does, for instance, that property, probably long-term rent would rent for around 22, maybe if I'm lucky, $2,400 a month. And she signed a two-year lease at $3,200 a month. That's awesome. I think that's a big benefit as a landlord to doing rental arbitrage, which is what you said, where you lease it out to someone who, instead of them living in it themselves, they turn around and sublease it to someone else. So arbitrage is pretty big in the Airbnb space. Um, and if you're listening to this and you got a small multifamily or single family house, you want me to arbitrage it, send me a message. Message. I'd love to love to connect because I, I think it's a it's a win win situation, right? The landlord gets an elevated rent, and the uh, the operator gets to acquire a unit at a fraction of what it would cost for them to purchase that. So it really is a a win win situation. But um, for our rookies that are listening, if you guys want more information on the sober living model, uh, we interviewed um, Devon and Reed back on episode uh, two sixty four. Five two sixty five, yeah. Uh, they they did an entire hour breakdown of this this model that McKinsey's talking about. So if you want to learn more about it, uh, more, learn more about that, go there. Um, but you also talked to McKinsey aside from the the sober living. Uh, you, you talked about subject to and kind of creative finance. What the heck does that mean? You know, we, we've got some other resources in the in the kind of bigger pockets ecosystem, but I'd love to hear from your experience. Like, what is what does creative finance and subject to mean? Yeah. So uh, to be honest, I'm kind of newer to it. I've just I guess I was doing creative financing without realizing I was doing creative financing because um, our property that we just bought, the sober living one that I was telling you about that we bought last year, we ended up bringing in our partner as a private money lender. That's a form of creative financing because we bought in cash, but we needed a little, you know, just to make up a little difference. So that was one aspect of it. When we purchased our property in Tennessee, still couldn't qualify for a traditional loan. So we purchased it using um, a DSCR loan. So there are other ways to go about it, but I really just got opened up to this world of true creative finance where we're talking about subject to or really seller financing. And a lot more people have heard about seller financing. They kind of have a bad taste in their mouth over it, I think, just because they're not educated on it. But subject to is this powerful tool, and I really feel like it's having its kind of day in the sun right now. Um, what it is essentially is we go into a con contract with a seller where we agree to make their payments on their behalf. 
we take title to the property. The property is legally mine. I can use it for uh, tax depreciation. I can do whatever I want with the house. But the power is that the debt actually stays in the seller's name. It doesn't negatively affect them, but it stays in their name so that I don't have to go through credit checks. I don't have to go through loan closing costs. I don't have to go through, you know, debt to income. No one looks at my stuff. It's actually kind of scary. No one even looks at my stuff and I buy this house, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's really the easiest way of transferring title and then agreeing to make payments to the seller. So we did that. And what's sweet is now I'm paying a mortgage that has a 2.6 rate on it. Wow. And uh, I should be able to cash flow about $1,000 a month once it's renovated and up and running. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, we did interview a uh, Pace Morby on here. It was episode 280. Yeah, he's always a, a wealth of information. He's also going to be uh, one of the guest speakers on the real estate boot camp for Bigger Pockets. So, if anyone wants to join the boot camps, you can go to biggerpockets.com/bootcamps, and Pace will be one of the the guest speakers on it. So, really exciting. But um, that's an awesome deal. But I want to ask, and you kind of mentioned a couple of lessons that you had learned on, along the way, such as dealing with the general contractor, such as investing out of state. But what do you think was the the hardest lesson that you had to learn? What was the most difficult thing through your journey as a rookie investor? Yeah, um, I think sometimes I'm all about, you know, you have to start to get anywhere. You're never going to get further along if you never start. So that's a huge piece. But also sometimes, you know, you get this adrenaline rush of like, let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. And so sometimes uh, I just think you need to be wise about the steps you're taking before you take them. And so we, uh, probably our biggest uh, moment was we, uh, my husband and I went under contract to build a house and we did the number one thing that you don't do, which is buy the most expensive house in the neighborhood, right? Never do that. It's terrible for values. But when it comes to a primary residence, this is going to be our house. We're going to, you know, be in it with our family, dream home, blah, blah, blah. However, we went into a contract on at the peak of the market. And so the market started tanking which is okay if you're going to ride it out. Um, during that, just kind of life changed a little bit for us. We want more kids and we, you know, this house wasn't perfect for it and just different things kind of came up. Um, here nor there, at the end of the day, we ended up pivoting. Uh, we lost some money, but not as much as we could have. That's actually going to turn into our new rental property that we bought. It worked out. But the biggest life lesson for me was the amount of sleepless nights I let it cause me. You know, the market is out of my control. You know, yeah, I can try to watch trends and follow it as quickly as I can. But sometimes, you know, the government does crazy stuff and here we are, <laughs> you know, so you can't time it perfectly. And you're not going to win in every investment. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Yes, leverage your risks, be smart, don't over leverage. But at the end of the day, as long as you did your research before, what you've put out isn't like, you know, going to ruin your family if you were to lose it all. Just chill out. You know, the the peace of mind and the quality of life that you give up when you're stressing over something you can't even control is not worth it. So I think when you go into investing, you just have to have a level mind about it and make sure that you keep that perspective about it. I might lose some, but I'm going to win some and I'm usually going to come out over top. So I think that uh, was probably our biggest struggle is I had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> But I'm on the other side of it now. So and now I know. <laughs> you, you make a fantastic point, Mackenzie, about 
you know, most real estate investors don't have a perfect track record. Absolutely. And a lot of a lot of those failures, a lot of that adversity is what makes you a better investor in the long run. Um, like for for example, last summer, uh, we attempted to do our first syndication. And it was uh, a, like a, a small kind of hotel here in Southern California. Um, and we had to raise, I think, 5 million bucks was our, our target raise. And we ended up raising like 2.9 or 2.8 or something like that. So we got like, you know, a little more than halfway there. And we just couldn't raise anymore. And, you know, I put up a 50K EMD. We probably spent another, you know, 50K in uh, legal fees and inspections and all these other things. And uh, we ended up having to pull out of the deal because we couldn't finish the raise. Luckily, I was able to get my 50K EMD back. Uh, but the other 50K that I spent on like legal fees and all that other stuff, that was a, a sunk cost. So I think there, there are sometimes risks that you get when you go into some of these deals. But to your point, uh, as long as it's not a fatal amount of money, um, take those lumps and, and use those to be better on the next deal. 100%. Yeah, completely agree. So I, I want to take us to our, our rookie exam, Mackenzie. Um, these are the same three questions we ask every single guest, uh, probably the three most important questions you'll ever be asked in your life. So are you ready for question number one? I'm so ready. Let's go. All right. Uh, what's one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to your episode? Go do something. I don't care what it is, just go do something. I feel like we take so long, you know, uh, Pace Morby, actually my favorite, he has a story of he talks to somebody, he goes, man, I've been working for, I, don't know, I think it's like three years, four years, and I haven't gotten my first deal. What are you talking about? You know, like go find a deal, go do something. Yes, education is great, but you will never know anything. Here I am, I just learned about creative financing like two months ago, and now I got a subject two deal and it's amazing. If I hadn't, been open to that or hadn't acted before I knew everything, I never would have started. So I feel like figure out what it is that you can go start on, whether it's finding a deal, whether it's finding a partner, whether it's finding a contractor, building a contract list, do something to get you closer to your next deal today. That's what you need to do. Do something. <laughs> it never works if you don't work. So just start working. What is one tool, software, or app or system in your business that you use? And you can't say Google Drive because you already said that one. So what's another tool that you use in your business? Honestly, um, this might be a slightly unconventional answer, but Instagram. You guys, like you need to be using social media. The power of sharing my journey on social media, even when I didn't have a lot of real estate sales behind me, even when I had no investing experience and I'm winging it on my first flip, like use that tool. I feel like when you offer value to people, don't even say, hey, I'm getting into real estate investing. I want to find a partner. Just start adding value to people and people will come to you because they feel like what you're giving them is way more, what they're getting from you is way more than what they're going to give to you. So I would absolutely use your social media channels, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, whatever, the new threads, all the other things. Use your social media and just start sharing what you're doing and share opportunities and start um, establishing yourself as a professional in real estate whatever that is, start becoming the educated voice of reason in all of your followers' heads. And I think it will absolutely multiply your business and be your partners later in life. Mackenzie, you make a great point about, you know, just sharing your knowledge and you don't have to have any experience to share what you are learning. So if you're listening to a podcast, what's one thing you learned in that podcast post about it? You're reading the new book. You've just gotten the mail, mail real estate partnerships. Yeah. Post one thing you learned about it when you read that book. So I think that's great advice. I feel like everyone feels like they need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to social media and they need to know it all. 
And I think you just need to remember that you probably know 1% more about whatever topic you're talking about than most of your network does, especially when it comes to real estate investing. So even it's that you just read the real estate partnerships book and you got one quote and you put it on there or use chat GPT. It's not cheating. Use chat GPT and share that knowledge with people. And so I completely agree. You don't have to know it all. Just share something and you probably know one more, one more percent than everyone else. I I think the other challenge people have is that, you know, they, they're thinking about the wrong person when they're creating content. Like when, when I post something on my Instagram, I'm not posting to educate Ashley about real estate investing. I'm not trying to impress her with my knowledge. I'm trying to give information to the person that doesn't have that. So I, I think if you reframe kind of who your audience is, it makes it a little bit easier to be transparent and, uh, and vulnerable on social. Um, all right. Last question for you uh, here at McKinsey. Where do you plan on being five years from now? Oh, that's such a good question. It's a good time that you asked. I actually just kind of reevaluated one, where I want to be. Um, I'll, I'll give you my, my three-year, two-and-a-half-year plan, okay? So uh, I'm 27 years old. This is kind of fun fact. Uh, you know the whole golden birthday where you turn whatever year on your day. So I will turn 30 January 30th of 2020, oh gosh, six, okay? So in about two-and-a-half years, my golden birthday, I'll be 30. My goal is to um, increase my rental cash flow to replace my real estate sales income right now. So build up, it depends on the cash flow. It kind of equates to around 20 doors, but it depends if, you know, cash flow is higher. So that's my goal is to make enough income from my rentals every day over the top on top of expenses. So what I'm taking home after all my partnerships is enough to replace my real estate sales income. And then I I do run a team here. And so my goal with that is then to be able to feed my team more deals, give them more opportunities. They love sales. You know, they love that. So if I can give them more deals and I can focus on more of the real estate investing, it'll free up a little bit more time for my family. My town will be my own. I can travel more, um, you know, do all of that, create that financial uh, independence life. So that's my goal, I guess, financial independence by uh my 30th birthday. Well, Mackenzie, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, kind of getting to dive into your story. I, I know I picked up a few things in our conversation as well. But before we wrap things up, I want to give a shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. Uh, this week's Rockstar is Mimi Fenton. And Mimi says, this is a really proud moment. We just closed on our first multifamily. I've been dying to get into multifamily for years, but felt so restricted by living in an expensive city and not having the capital. So I just followed the Zillow map until I hit areas with multifamily properties I could afford and then identified which of these had the best rents. And she finishes off by saying, you can't sit on the sidelines and plan. You have to jump in even if you don't think you're ready. Uh, So Mimi, congratulations to you. And I can't wait uh, to hopefully get you on the podcast one day and you can tell us more about how you made those those multifamily properties happen. Mackenzie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. Uh, Mackenzie and I had actually met at AJ Osborne's conference in Boise, Idaho. And uh, we got to talking and I just knew you would give tremendous value. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Instagram and TikTok. I'm also on my Facebook. My name is just Mackenzie Brogdon. I'm sure you'll see it here in the comments on Instagram and TikTok. It's Mackenzie Brogdon Realtor. That's it. Everybody will find me. I'm also on threads now, test, testing that out to see how that goes. So <laughs> Mackenzie Brogdon Realtor, anywhere you can find me. And I'd love to chat and connect with you all. So thank you, Ashley and Tony, so much for having me. It's an honor to share my story. I hope it can 
and inspire even one person listening to this to go out and do something and get your first deal. Okay. So you guys give Mackenzie a follow and let her know how she has inspired you today to get your first or even your next deal. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he is Tony J. Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Braving the real estate journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers correctly? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if I lose my job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. That's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head over to biggerpockets.com slash enrollme today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enrollme. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.